This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. So I am glad to be here, not just this morning, but in this whole place, all up in here. And for the last few months, I've uh, been kind of working behind the scenes and doing, he's let me preach one other time. Um, and I was used to preaching every week. And so, you know, you follow God, you do what he tells you to do. And we're glad to be here and be a part of what, um, of what God's doing in Stanley County and beyond and being able to get behind and support the vision that God's given to Kevin and Amanda, um, be able to call him my pastor. Um, that's a privilege for me. I know it is for you too. Um, and so we're grateful for them. I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak today. As he said, this is the final message of our Forever Free series. It's a big deal to me to get to, to wrap it up. I hope that I wrap it up and don't ruin it. All the work that he's laid as we've been working through this, and God's been showing us a few things um, about who we are. And really, even when we enter this world, um, God's Word teaches that we enter this world, we're sinners from day one. And, uh, you know, when, when, when we're expecting children, I've got three kids, Jackson, Millie, and Will. You see them, those crazy ones running around here, and, and we love them. I remember when we were finding out what we were going to have. We found out as soon as we could if we were going to have a boy or a girl because Sarah's a planner, and she wanted to start shopping. And so, but the gender reveal thing has become a big, it's a big deal, right? You throw parties, you do all kinds. How many of y'all been a part of one of those gender reveal things? And you're like, oh, we're all so excited. But sometimes those don't go the way you want them to. So let me show you a video of one that didn't go quite like they hoped. It's okay, Gun. It's all right. I know I want a girl. I hate one of a girl. Hey, you had the same reaction I did, bud. I don't want It's all right. I want to eat the cake. You're not going to eat the cake? Paisley, are you happy? Yeah, it's good. Harper, are you happy? I'm not happy. Gun, are you happy? No. You'll love your, your new little sister. No! I don't want more girls. All right. I want zero girls. I want a boy. Gunner, say goodbye to everybody. No! I don't want you! All right, Gunner wasn't happy. Big brother, three little sisters. Come on! What's up with that? So I'm one of six kids. In our family, it's three boys, three girls. You can't get much more even than that. Uh, but it didn't go the way he wanted it to go. It's girls, girls, uh, stupid girls, they're the worst. And he wasn't happy about it. But you know, if we think about it in the context of what God's Word teaches us, that when we come into this world, we come in male or female, but we all come in sinner. Like that's, that's our status at birth. 
Like, what if we did it that way? They said, oh, so we hear you guys are expecting. Do you know what you're going to have? And we said, we're having a sinner. And they go, yay, sinners, you know. So you cut into the cake, and it's full of little devil dolls or something like that. And, you know, because you don't think about them that way. When you see them, you know, in the nursery, and they just give them their first bath, you don't think sinner until you, they wake you up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and you think, you are a sinner. You're the worst little human being on the planet. Sarah and I used to call them tiny tyrants. Um, we don't call them that anymore, but it's still true. So throughout this series, we've been thinking about the fact that we're natural-born sinners. Romans 5.12 teaches us this. It says, when Adam sinned, that's the first man in the garden, when he sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. And that last little part there, for everyone sinned, that's how you know that everyone's a sinner, because everyone sins. You don't have to teach us to do it. There's no courses on it. You, we, we master it from the first moment we try it. And for some of us, we've got decades under our belt, and we're some serious sinners. But we're all sinners. So when Jesus came, he didn't come um, the same way that you and I come. Uh, I fathered my children, but Jesus came without the aid of a man. He was born of a virgin. And so when he came into the world, he didn't have the sin passed down to him the way Adam passed it down to you and me. He didn't have that. So he entered the world without sin, so he could and would be the perfect person. And then he could and would be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Because if you or I had lined up and said, send me to the cross for their sins, we aren't qualified to do it. We just aren't up to the task because we already have our own sin on us. So Jesus took our sin upon him. He became sin, God's word tells us, so that he could die on our behalf. He could take the punishment. Pastor Tim Keller says this, Jesus is the true and better Adam. He is the second Adam. It is the reboot who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed or assigned to us. That's who Jesus was. He came and God said, I will send the new man. And if you're born from Adam, which all of us are, we're sinners. But if we're born again through Jesus, we die to our sin, we're raised to new life in Christ, then we, our sin's taken away. So that old status of sinner is removed, and now we're, uh, the new status is righteous in the name of Jesus. Isn't that something to get excited about? That's what Jesus did for us. But every other religion in the world says, actually, the way you get to God isn't through Jesus. It's through following these certain rules. Every other religion says, you need to do this, and you haven't, or you're not doing this, and you should, or you're never going to be able to do it. But if you follow these certain things, then God will go, okay, finally, you're good enough. I love you. I accept you. I forgive you. But Jesus is the exact opposite. It turns it on its head, and it says, instead of saying, if you live this way, you'll get to God, Jesus said, I will live that way because you can't, and then I'll bring you to God. So now when God, as me as, a, as a, someone who has come to faith in Christ, now Jesus presents me to the Father and says, he's mine, he has my righteousness, and I'm accepted through Jesus Christ. That's what happens to us. That's, that's your only option. It's either to try to be good enough for God to love you and accept you or to realize you can't be good enough, but Jesus was, and he wants to bring you to the Father. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the only option is to follow the rules and be good enough, which ain't ever going to happen, or understand that through Jesus you can be justified, because that's what Jesus did. Jesus said, follow me first, that's justification made right in the sight of God. And then your behavior, the way you live will start to change. That's that process of sanctification. 
And then ultimately, when we're reunited with God in heaven, we're going to be given a new perfect body. Sin will be no more and we'll be glorified. That'll be, that's glorification, justification, made right with God, sanctified, set apart, made holy, and then eventually glorified. But that, that process of sanctification, that's really what we're talking about today. This idea of staying free. It's about getting free from sin in that moment that we come and give our hearts to Jesus. For me, it was September of 1989. Remember very clearly that moment where I was set free. But now I've got to walk in that freedom. Because that's the thing about sanctification. It is a process. It's a journey. And freedom is a moment, but it's also a journey. It's something that you continue to walk out. It's both of those things. See, I was set free in that moment, but... I stay free by walking, continuing to follow Jesus. Last week, uh, Kevin said that this struggle that we have in us where we're tempted to sin, but we know we shouldn't. Anybody ever go through that? Nobody in here tempted. Amazing people. So uh, let me just rephrase. This struggle that I've been going through lately where I'm tempted to sin and I know I shouldn't and sometimes I don't and sometimes I do, this fight that's happening in me, it's just that. It's a fight and it, that fight never stops. But when we choose Jesus, we just change sides. So instead of fighting for my flesh and what my body wants, now I start fighting for what Jesus wants because I'm following him. I'm just changing sides in the fight. I'm just choosing. I'm putting on his jersey and saying, I'm for Jesus. I'm for what Jesus wants. I'm going to follow him. But the struggle never stops. It hasn't stopped for me yet. I'm 37 years in. It hasn't stopped for me yet. Those of you who who have passed me in age, you, you can probably identify too and say, I'm still struggling. I remember reading a story about these uh, young preachers who were training to be preachers, and they went to visit this retired minister. He was in his late 80s. I think he was about 89 years old. And they went, and they, they were asking him a question, and they said, could you tell us, at what age do you get to where you stop looking at pretty girls? Like, they just stop being attractive to you. And he said, I don't know, it's probably sometime after 89, okay? So... Still struggling with it, right? The struggle never stops, but we, we change sides in the fight. We're talking about how to stay free, how to win in that struggle. Galatians 5.1, Paul says this, It's for freedom that Christ set us free. So in other words, God set us free because he wants us to stay free. That's why he didn't set you free just so you go right back to bondage. So he says this, Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. God wants us to be free, free from the penalty of sin, that's death, but also free from the power of sin, that's destruction. And isn't that what sin does in our lives? Whenever we allow it to to have a foothold in us, it causes, it destroys. If sin gets in my relationship with my wife, it hurts that relationship. If I begin to lie, it hurts, it destroys. That's what sin does. So I can never, because I'm a child of God, I can never be under the penalty of sin again. I've been given new life. But I can still let sin have power in my life. That's like Kevin's been saying for the last couple of weeks. You can let sin boss you around, but you don't have to. You can choose to stay free. But after we're set free, there is this possibility. That's why Paul says there in Galatians, you've been set free. God set you free to stay free. So stand firm in that. That means there are going to be forces that are going to try to pull you away from the status where God has put you. They're going to try to push you away, but you're going to stand firm. You're going to stand firm and say, no, no, I'm not going to be pushed to the right or to the left. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to stand firm and I'm going to stay free. He wants us to stay that way. Romans 6, 14 says, sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. What does that mean? 
sin isn't my master. What does the law and sin have to do with that? We see, when we think about the law, maybe you think about like the Ten Commandments or all the other laws and, and rules that are laid out in the Old Testament. We start thinking about that way, and our understanding of that, it can push us one way or another. Because we can try to keep all the rules, and by doing that, God will then love us. Or we can understand that I can follow Jesus, and he'll show me how to keep all the rules. He'll show me how to walk in that. Because here's what the law actually does. The law defines what right living looks like. It defines what right living looks like. Normally, the way we think of it is this. If I follow all the rules, then I'll be right. But think about it this way. If I'm right, my life will look like I'm following all the rules. So Carrie, that's just semantics. You're just, it's the same exact thing. Well, it's not really. Because when I follow Jesus, he leads me into following those. Because the law, it just defines what right living looks like. When I'm driving down the road and I'm going 65 and I see a speed limit sign that says 55, I know in that moment, so that's what right driving looks like. This is what my driving looks like. If I was someone who was a law-abiding citizen, which I am not, then when I saw that sign, I would be going that speed, correct? That would, that would defile. That's, so somebody who's a law-abiding citizen, they go that speed or less. All it does is it shows what right living looks like. It doesn't make me slow down. The only thing that makes me slow down is the blue lights. That's the only thing. And I hope that I see them ahead and not behind, right? Sweet Jesus. How many of you have a mini, mini heart attack every time you see blue lights? And I look down, I'm, I'm not even speeding. I still, I feel guilty. It's because I know there were other times I was speeding and didn't see the blue lights. I'm not a law abider. I'm a law breaker. The law shows this is what right per, a righteous person looks like. So what does a righteous person look like? They don't murder. They don't steal. They don't commit adultery. They don't covet their neighbor's house, property, or wife. They put God first. All those Ten Commandments, all those rules, someone who is righteous looks like that. So here's what else the law does. It defines what right living looks like, and then it proves to me that I can't live like that. I can't. You say, well, Carrie, I've never killed anybody. Good for you. I don't lie. Yeah, you do. Remember what Jesus did when he came? He was always saying, a new command I give you. He would say something like this. You've heard thou shalt not kill, but I'm going to give you a new commandment. Don't even hate them in your heart. You see, you haven't killed anybody, I hope. But in your heart, you murder people all the time. The guy who cut you off in traffic. Drop dead, you loser. Someone who, who has done something actually serious, not cut you off and drive, they actually hurt you. And in your heart, you wish they were never born. We lie, we deceive. He says it because it's not just about the actions. You can never murder somebody, but not be right with God in your heart. So the law just defines what right living looks like, and then it shows me I can't live that way. And then it points me to the one who did live that way, Jesus. See, if you were taking all the rules and saying that defines, that describes what right living looks like, it would be painting a picture that looks just like Jesus. He lived it out perfectly in his heart and his actions. He lived it out perfectly because true freedom isn't found in following the rules. It's found in following Jesus. And rules don't produce righteousness. They only describe it. By following the rules, you can never become more righteous. You can't. You can't attain it. You can't achieve it. Rules don't produce it. They just describe it. What does it look like? What does it look like? It looks like Jesus. Because our default approach to God 
is always to try to follow the rules. That's our default. That's us trying to do our best to reach up to where God is. Right? So I'm going to stop lying. I'm going to get a little higher, a little closer to God. I'm going to stop killing people in my heart. That's a big step for some of you. So let's keep working on that. I'm going to try to reach God. It's all about me trying to reach up to him. But his word says that we have all sinned. So even if I did get a little higher, I'm still stuck to the ground. I'm still bound and imprisoned and enchained by my sin. So without him, I, I can't be set free from that. So God's approach to us isn't through following rules. It's through a relationship. It's through following Jesus. This is literally God reaching down to us. I can't ever reach up to him, but he reached down and pulled me out of my sin. Anybody else been pulled out of their sin? He pulled me out of my sin. And I got saved as a 10-year-old boy. He didn't just save me from the sins I'd committed up to 10. Think about how much he saved me from that I never even got into. Because Jesus set me free. That freedom, it happened in a moment, and it happens in this journey that I'm still walking through. Because I still, even though he set me free, by my faith and trust in him, giving him my life, it's still so easy to default back to, well, the best way to follow him is just to follow all these rules. I'm going to make sure I always show up at church. I've got to read my Bible at least 15 minutes a day. And if I don't, I'll read it 30 minutes tomorrow to make, to make up for it. That'll count, right? I'm just going to follow the rules. If following the rules couldn't set you free, it certainly can't keep you free. It's only by following Jesus. It's only by understanding that on your own, you're never going to be good enough. On your own, you're never going to be able to follow all the rules perfectly. You can't. You're walking around in a sinful body. You're going to blow it. You're going to mess up. Then what are you going to do? For a lot of us, our response in that moment is we lose hope. I mean, I've been saved for 27 years, and I still struggle with sin, and I still sin. What, what can I do in that moment? 27 years, Carrie, really? 27 years, you still haven't got this together yet? Talk to me in 10 more, 20 more. Some of you can identify. You can say, yeah, you're right. I'm still, I still struggle with sin. That doesn't go away in this life. But God knows that in the midst of that struggle, we can find victory. We can still enjoy freedom. Here's what he says in Romans 6, 15 through 18. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, that's the only thing, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. You notice what it said there? It says following God leads to righteous living, not the other way around. But he says this, now you are free from your slavery to sin. Excuse me, I missed a verse, verse 17. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey his teaching, the teaching we've given you. Now you're free from your slavery to sin. You've become slaves to righteous living. You see, that's the thing we got to understand, is that we are going to be a slave to one thing or another. And everybody in this room I don't care what your background is. I don't care if you've been to church your whole life or this is your very first time. You're in one camp or the other. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. And we don't really like that. Like in the United States, we like to think, no, no, we're free. We're independent. Like nobody can tell me what to do. I make all of my own decisions. But even in our country, we have independence that functions underneath laws, right? That's how, that's how our freedom works. See, our freedom it's, freedom is not independence. It's about understanding that you're always going to be a slave. You're always going to be bound to something. You're either going to be bound to sin, which leads to death and destruction, or you're going to be bound to God, which leads to new life. 
Verse 20 of chapter 6 says this. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You're now ashamed of the things you used to do. Things that end in eternal doom. But now you're free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me ask you this question. If Jesus promises that by following him, he will give you life, but we know that following sin leads to death, why wouldn't we choose Jesus? So I don't want to be bound to anything, but you're going to be. You're either going to be bound to sin, which leads to death and destruction, or you're going to be bound to God, which leads to life everlasting. That's your options. Why wouldn't we choose Jesus? Here's what I believe. I believe that when we realize what sin does, when we realize what Jesus offers, this new life of following him, we choose Jesus every time. I believe that. I just believe that there are people um, that live all around me that are blinded by their sin and they're deceived. And it's, it's my job, my mission on this planet to point them to Jesus and what he can do for them and set them free. That's, that's, that's my job. It's everything I do, it's all about doing that. Everything we do as a church, it really all comes down to doing that. Pointing those who are lost, blinded, deceived by their sin to the reality that Jesus offers them new life, that sin is taking them straight to hell. It's, it's ruining their life, but Jesus offers a better way. And I believe that when your eyes are opened, you choose Jesus. When your eyes are opened and you realize, I don't have to sin anymore. I don't have to keep going through the same the same pattern over and over and over of realizing that what I do ruins my life. What I do doesn't really bring true satisfaction in this life. It's always temporary. It always leaves a bitter taste in my mouth. It ever, never actually leads me down the path that I think I'm going down. And when I realize that, my eyes are opened and I, I kind of come to my senses because I realize that everything else that I was doing is senseless. It's heartbreaking to me to see people lost in their sin and they're trying to make decisions even to better their life and it's not getting better. And I think it's just so senseless when you could have Jesus and everything that he offers, all of the freedom. When you could follow him completely, you're bound to your sin, but why not be bound to the one who will never lead you to anything that doesn't uh, perfect you? He will never lead you to anything that doesn't bring true satisfaction. And that's why you can see people who are even going through difficult times in life who've chosen to follow Jesus, but they still seem to have it together and they walk through by faith, even difficult times, because they know where God is leading them is better. So much better. It's senseless not to. So when we come to our senses, this amazing thing happens. And that's how I want us to close our time. If we're going to talk about how to stay free, I'm going to give you four things from the scriptures of how to stay free. That means if God has set you free from your sin at some moment in your life, if, if that's you today and you've been set free, how do you stay free? Because if you're anything like me, you've probably been at moments in your life where you um, committed a sin, immediately felt like the worst person on the planet, go right to God and say, God, I'm so sorry, and then I find myself like a day or two later doing it again. Anybody ever done that? We don't want to raise our hand on that one. Thanks, Carrie. I'm a loser. You are, but with Jesus, you can be better. So when you just said that moment, when you had that moment right there, where you're like, oh, yeah, because some of you didn't raise your hand, but you've been there. That moment where you realize that, that's, that's number one. Admit you need help. 
You see, there's this story that happens in the, in the, uh, the book of Luke chapter 15. Jesus shares this story, this parable of a father who had two sons. And I know Kevin's taught this to you uh, several times. But he had two sons. He had an older and a younger. And the younger comes to him and says, hey, dad, um, I don't want to wait for you to die. I want to get my inheritance now. That's basically what he said. The father's heartbroken, as you would be when you realize your son really just wants you dead so they can get your money. But he says, okay, I'll do it. So he divides everything that he owns and he gives the son his portion. And the son immediately takes it, goes to the big city and blows all the money. Parties, drinking, prostitutes. I mean, the raunchiest stuff he can find to do. He lives it up until it's all gone. And then he's alone. All of his friends left because the money's gone. The friends are gone. He finds himself working the worst job that he could find, but it's the only one they would give him. And he's, he's feeding pigs. And he actually finds him in this moment. He's so hungry that he's looking at the slot the pigs are eating. And he's thinking, you know, maybe they'll share. Like, that, that's what I want. And I love this verse from Luke 15, 17, where it says this. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. And he came to his senses and he said, in my father's house, the servants, the paid servants, they're, they're eating better than this. They're, they have extras and I'm starving. He came to his senses. He admitted he needed help. Hi, I'm Carrie and I'm a sinner and I need help. It's acknowledging it. You, I'm not going to be good enough. I'm not going to follow the rules perfectly. I'm guessing you won't either. You won't. You're going to keep going back to that pattern, but you don't have to. So admit you need help, and then you do the next thing. So here's what he says. He says in verse 18, I will go home to my father, and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to confess my sin, and I'm going to repent. That's what he does. And that's the second thing. First, admit you need help, but then humble yourself by repenting to God and others. Humble yourself, lower yourself. You know, nowhere in Scripture does it say be humble. It always says humble yourself. There's nobody on this planet that just is humble. You have to humble yourself. It is an action. And so he goes and he says, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And that's key, both heaven and you. We have to humble ourselves by repenting to God and others. And others. This is a process that God put in place. We repent to God because he's the only one who can forgive us. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we can confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. God forgives. But then God put a process in place. In James 5, 16, it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We find forgiveness by repenting to God. We find healing by repenting and confessing to each other. Is there anyone in your life that you are telling everyone, everything to? Do you have people in your life who love Jesus and are following him that you're confessing everything to? I'm going to tell you, this is so crucial because you're going to struggle with sin the rest of your life. But if you will daily, regularly humble yourself by confessing and repenting to God and to others, you'll struggle with it, but you won't lose in the battle. You're going to have the same temptations. The devil knows your weak spots. He's probably tempting you in the same way over and over and over. He's got your number. He knows exactly what to throw at you. You've got to be confessing that to others. You, gotta be, you can't be the only person who knows that about you. I have friends in my life that they know the sin I struggle with over and over and over. I have to confess and repent to them. If I don't, I lose that fight. So we confess and repent. And the thing about repenting is it's not just, oh, God, I'm so sorry. 
It's not just telling God that you're a sorry loser. He, like, he doesn't even believe that about you. He, he sees you as righteous. It's about coming to God and saying, God, this is what I've done, confessing. But repentance is really about changing your mind. If you look at that word repentance in the original language, it's a word metanoia. It's actually two words put together. The first part, meta, means uh, change, like metamorphosis. And noia means mind. So repentance is literally changing your mind. It's changing your mind about your sin, how you see it. But I'm going to tell you this. I have never once changed my mind about something all by myself. If I believe something to be true and it was just me with me and I never was exposed to any other truth, anyone else telling me otherwise, I never changed my mind. I just keep thinking I'm right and I'm dead wrong. You've got to have people around you who can speak the truth to your life. And when you do that, over time, a process of change begins to happen. You start to see things differently. You've been through that. You thought one way about something. Maybe it was even something minor. But you start hanging around people who saw it differently. And then over time, you start seeing it the way they did. That's why we need each other. That's why we have groups. We're kicking off another session of groups starting next Sunday. You need to be in a group. You need to get around some people who are trying to do what you're doing, following Jesus. And you can be honest and confess. And they can pray for you. And you can find healing so that you're not continuing to lose the battle in that struggle, but you're finding victory in Jesus. Because a lot of you, the reason you're struggling is because you're repenting to God, but you're not confessing it to anyone else. And God put the process in place. This isn't my idea. It's him. He said, I've sinned against heaven and you, and he has. So you confess it to God, you repent, but you've got to confess and repent to others. Get around some other people, and they can help you change your mind. You start to see it differently. That's how you change sides in the fight. That's how you change sides in the fight. You start getting other people around you that go, no, 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 you don't need to do that. You don't need to live that way. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what God's, this is what Jesus really wants you to do. You're not seeing that right. And at first you get mad at them. You don't have a right to speak to me that way. But you stay around them because you trust them. You know they love Jesus. You know they want what's best for you. And slowly your mind begins to change. And you start to change sides and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm being tempted to do this. My body even wants to do it. But I know that's not what Jesus wants me to do. And your mind changes. And the only way that you can do that is with community and relationships. If you're not connected to a group, that's the reason why we do it. It's because we know that's the only way you can stay free. No one ever stays free all by themselves. You're actually the worst version of yourself when you're all by yourself. You really are. You'll do the worst things when you're by yourself. You need people around you. I need it. If you don't have it, I'm telling you right now, what you're doing is you're just opening the door up for the enemy. He's like, he's all alone. Let's get him. She's all alone. I know exactly what to tempt her with. And you fail and, oh, I'm a loser. I can't believe I did that again. You need people around you say, listen, I'm being tempted with this. And they're going to pray for you and you're going to find healing. That's truth because the opposite of that is lies. And that's the third thing. You've got to re- daily reject the lies of the enemy. You've got to daily reject Satan's lies. You see, there were two brothers in that story. The younger brother who got his stuff and he went out and blew it. And he came back. But when he came back, the older brother was not happy about it. He was ticked. And here's what he says. He's speaking to his father. He says, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. That's probably not even true. Tell me his whole life he never disobeyed his father. That's some kind of kid. Only Jesus could do that. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. 
Yet when this son of yours, and notice that, he's not even his brother anymore. When this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. And then his father says to him, and his father speaks truth. He says, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me. That's true. But everything I have is yours. This is the very, a very literal thing that he said here. Because when the son came, the younger son came and said, I want my part of the inheritance. Here's the way it worked. You, the older son would always get a double portion. So there's two sons. So he would divide it into three equal parts. The older son would get two and the younger son would get one third. Okay. So when he gave him his and he took it out, literally everything that was left was his. It was his inheritance. He was just waiting on the father to die too, apparently. He was believing lies, the lies of the enemy that were saying, can you believe that? That younger brother, your father's younger son, squandered and wasted, but you've never done that. You've always been here. Yeah, you're right, I have been. You've, you've never disobeyed. You're right, I haven't. I've been the best son ever. You've always worked hard. And you know what? Your father treats you like a slave. He doesn't even treat you like a slave. He works you like a dog. Yeah, I've been slaving for you for my whole life. He's never given you anything. And the, it was a lie. I'm going to tell you this. The enemy comes and he lies. His vocabulary is lies. That's the language that he speaks. If the devil's telling you something, it's not true. Every time. And he comes and he says, you deserve this. Your wife's been holding out on you. Maybe you need to step out on her. That's all right. Click a few more pages in on the internet. You deserve to look at that because she's been holding out on you. You know what? You deserve that promotion, not that other guy. So just get that credit card out and make that purchase. You deserve that. It'll make you feel better. And he lies. And we believe it. And he knows just the kind of lies that we like to hear because they're all about us. I've never let you down. I've always been here. You treat me like a slave. You've never given me anything. But the father says, no, 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 no. You have been here, but everything is yours. And that's the last part. You've got to daily receive God's truth. Well, how do I get access to that? That truth you're talking about. He laid it out in the Bible. We've got so much access to the Bible, we don't even know what to do with it. I got an app on my iPad on my phone. I can get like 75 translations. I can read it in Swahili if I want, if I knew how to do that. It's everywhere. And I'm not even, I'm not even daily receiving it from God's word, from people around me who love Jesus, who are speaking truth. You got you to receive the truth. And that's what happened here. The younger son comes back. It says, so he returned home to his father, verse 20. And while he was still a long way off, I love this, the father saw him because he was looking for him. He was waiting for him. He was hoping he'd come back. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And here's the thing. When he said that, the father said, that's not true. That's a lie. So the father did this and said, his father said to his servants, no, no, no. Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. He didn't deserve it, but he was covered in filth. He didn't feel like a part of the family anymore. And the father said, no, no, you're still mine. I've been waiting for you. I've been hoping for you. I've been longing for you. Put the robe on him. He says this, 
put, a, put, a, put that on him. And he says, get a ring for his finger. Uh, the, the family ring, put it back on him. He is my son. Sandals for his feet. His feet were broken and bruised and he'd been running away for so long. Come back, I'm gonna, I'm gonna comfort you again. You're back in. That's the truth. That's the God who loves us. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's fine. And so the party began. The truth of the Father is that in Jesus you are loved, you are an accepted son or daughter. You are righteous in his sight through Jesus. The enemy tells you otherwise. The enemy, when you're in that lowest of low in your sin, he's going to come and say, you don't even deserve to be a son. You're not even really a follower of Jesus. If you were, you wouldn't be doing this. We've got to reject the lies and receive the truth. I'm going to tell you this. If you'll admit you need help, if you will regularly, daily, hourly, minute by minute, however often you need to do it, humble yourself and repent to God and to others. Get some people in your life who love Jesus and who are trying to follow him. If you reject the lies of the enemy and if you will receive the truth of God, you will walk in freedom. You will struggle with sin, but you will have victory through Jesus. You will get out of that pattern of sinning, feeling terrible, coming back to God saying, I'm sorry, I'm never going to do it again, and then going right back to it. You'll get out of that cycle, and you'll walk, and you'll live in freedom. You will stay free, and God will work in your life. So today, as we, as we pause to respond, let me ask you this. Have you come to Jesus and let him set you free in that moment? I remember the moment for me. I was in a, a little Baptist church in Batesville, Arkansas. Probably, y'all probably don't know anywhere about where that is, but I know exactly where it is. I remember walking down that aisle. It was an old school Baptist church and the, the teal pews and, and going down to that front pew and, and praying and saying, Jesus, I give you my life. I remember that moment, but I've been on a journey. Do you remember that moment? You've been set free. But let me ask you this too. Are you staying free? If you're on the other side of that and you say, yes, that's me, Carrie. Are you staying free? Are you walking in that? Are you living it? Are you stuck in a destructive cycle where you're losing in the battle? Today, you can stay free. Let's pray. Father, you love us. You prove that by sending Jesus. So God, today may be the day where people find that moment where they are set free. And God, many today, I believe, are going to be set free once again, God, because that you've, you've made them free and they are going to live in it. They're going to stand firm in it. They're going to walk in it. They're going to still battle. They're still going to be tempted. That's not ever going to change. But God, today, they are going to begin a process of repenting to you, repenting to others, and walking in freedom, finding victory through what you've done on the cross. Thank you in Jesus' name. I want everybody to look at me for a moment. When we talk about freedom, I know there's something inside of many of our hearts today that we, we know I need that. I know that that's so far away from the way that I've lived. And I know that I need to be that person. Some of us may realize today that we've tried to earn it. Tried to earn something that we could never, ever earn. Something that can only be given by God. And today I want you to understand that God's plan for you is freedom. But he doesn't want you to live the way that many of us have lived. Bound up in fear. Some of us are enslaved to fear. We're enslaved to anxiety and worry. Some of us here 
are enslaved to the opinions of other people. Our lives are navigated the way we feel about ourselves is navigated by what other people have said about us. Some of us have been enslaved to comparison where we're trying to keep up with other people. I want you to get this today. It's so important that the only way that you're ever going to experience freedom is saying, I don't want to be a slave to sin. I want to be a slave to you, Jesus. I don't want to be bound to sin. I've got to be bound to something. So why in the world would we choose sin? I believe there's some of us in this room right now that want to make that choice. Let's pray. God, today, God, we thank you for this message and the invitation to step out of a bondage that leads us only to sin and to experience the liberty and freedom that comes from being bound to you. God, we can't do this in our own strength. We can't do it by (laughs) willing our way through this. God, the only way we can do it is through you. And so, God, we just trust you today. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, let me just ask you if that's you today. Are you the person that you know you've been trying to do it because you've been trying to get it right, been trying to be better, been trying to be stronger, but you know you can't. And today, you realize you've got to make that decision to say, God, I give you my life entirely. Take it. Use it. Raise your hand if that's you. God, I want to give you my life. I want to give it entirely. Who else? Lots of hands just went up. Who else? Who else? So God, today we just stand in front of you and thank you for that invitation. But there are many more of us that are in here today that have struggled with something. We're on the opposite side of eternity where we've made the decision to follow you, but we're still struggling with sin. And So God, help us to fight that battle because freedom is never won without a fight. And so God, help us to fight that for you and for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.